Welcome to the Truthiverse. My name is Brendan D. Murphy. This is where we unleash truth and freedom with no holds barred, no fear, and no limits. Come and evolve beyond the matrix with me and thrive, not just survive. This is a realm of empowering, uncommon awareness. This is my Truthiverse. Do you ever wonder how to accelerate your growth, healing, and evolution without hard work, meditation, or spending thousands? Over my years as a conscious seeker, I've encountered one DNA activation and healing method that stands out above the rest and does just that. It's a uniquely potent evolutionary modality that helped me break out of feeling blocked and disconnected, allowing me to unfold more and more of my potential and true self, as well as deepening my spiritual connection, enhancing my energy levels, and more fully activating my body's healing mechanisms. It also remedied a major but little-known energetic blockage which most people have but don't even realize. Now this convenient transformational method forms the core of my Evolve Yourself course, which has helped hundreds of spiritually awake people to accelerate their growth and evolution with minimal effort or cost. Learn everything you need to know at evolveyourself.live. All right, welcome to this episode of Truthiverse, ladies and gents. Uh, Today I have the pleasure and the privilege and the honor of being joined for a second time on the show by Michael Tassarian who for most of you will need no introduction whatsoever. He's a phenomenal researcher um, and writer in, well, across a number of fields, actually. Uh, Vast scope to his work. So today (laughs) we're going to focus on female psychology. And this discussion is one that, uh, am I correct that, am I I the only person who's invited you to onto a podcast to, to get into this so far, Michael? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we've shot the breeze on a couple of, uh, maybe one, one or yeah. two, because remember the, the people asked me to come on, uh, you know, Brandon about the female Illuminati. Yeah. Uh, they say psychology and then it, it veers into the female Illuminati and, and they're not really, you know, obviously there's slight connections, but basically they're two different subjects. So yeah, apart from John Cooper, you know, we haven't d- done a deep dive. And then a lot of, a lot of sometimes, you know, I, I get invitations, but they're more of the MGTOW or they're more, uh, you know, uh, sort of like, you know, you know, bitch hating sort of men yeah. extreme groups. And I, I understand what they're all about, but I don't necessarily want to be, a, you know, coming from the, an extremist point of view. Yeah. Uh, I can talk to them, but they don't even get my thesis. Uh, you know, <laughs> women are bitches is about as far as they've got. And uh, there's no, there's no delving into anything deeper. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's hopeless. It's a message. that just falls on deaf ears actually. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully, I mean, I trust with my audience and I'm, you know, Guys, listen up. Get the get the listening caps on. Um, and to to finish my my intro, this this work stems from a book which, uh, if memory serves me correctly, Michael published in 2019 called Dragon Mother, which is an exceptional uh, investigation into the state of the female psyche and female psychology and all the blind spots and the stuff that nobody talks about. And um, and then it was followed on by an, another excellent book called Adultism, which I, I highly recommend both of those. So uh, if you haven't already read them, please do go and read them. And Michael's website, which we will remind you at the end, is dragonmother.org if you want to find these books and check out the material. So he was saying just before we started that this is this conversation we're going to have, this presentation, is based on a more recent article, which will be a continuation of these themes, um, but will be available on his website by the time this it goes to air. So check that out as well, guys. Dragonmother.org. So um, yeah, Michael, if you if you would like me to uh, bring up that first slide, or just just let me know how you want to go. Oh, we can do that in a minute. Yeah, just exactly that. Uh, there's even if you don't pick up the books, the Dragonmother.net site, a, a, a .org site has uh, about ten or fifteen 
articles free and this one uh, is going to be called a uh, dark mother divine uh, carrying on you know themes but uh, when i wrote those books there has been as you say new thoughts you know uh, we've done stuff on enslaved about it uh, teasing it out because it's a new thesis it's quite incendiary and, and, and controversial to that degree um, it's just part of a larger campaign to push back on radical feminism especially on wokeism so when people read this latest article it, you know it, it's carrying on that tradition we'll get to the slides in a minute but uh, to preview it, it, it it's that uh, the whole thing will fall apart this project of pushing back at feminism unless you've, you you know what their tenets are you know so it, it, i started reading feminist books at like uh, 1990 after reading a friend's uh, paper ba paper on uh, oh just narrative art from a female perspective and we don't want to get into all of this but that's when it started and for the first time i was introduced to feminist works that uh, uh, make the case that mm -hmm. you can see art, you can see film, you can see poetry, you can see everything from a feminine point of view. And this really, really intrigued me. Uh, so so then you read the great writers, so many of those, and then you read the refuters, you know, like Camille Paglia, who are <clears throat> feminists, but uh, so much more sane, mm. so much more respectful to the Western tradition. Not the third, fourth wave feminism, which is very, very deconstructive of that and very hateful of that. Mm. So you just plow through it all. And what I wanted to do on this interview, thanks to you, is to then isolate just a few. Uh, th there's nine criticisms, and we'll go to those on the slides in a minute. But then there are uh, uh, you know, two to three extraordinary uh, misgivings that you find, misrepresentations, and just faux pas that you find within the feminist narrative that are so obviously erroneous that it's hard to believe that they would base their whole attack on mankind based on these things, but they get away with it because one, they're quite academic, you know, they're quite intellectually, you know, you know, they're graded, you know, they're, they're very, they're, they occupy high positions. And uh, there was a spate since the 1960s where the whole world was, was listening to what they had to say. They, they had the, the bull by the horns and uh, the publishers just sucked up, you know, everything that they were writing. This is particularly in New York and American, you know, you had your Gloria Steinem's and all of that all the different feminists. So with it came a whole uh, torrent of information, which very few men will actually pair through and go through to see if it has any credibility. And I've done this and I find almost nothing that they have to say has any credibility. And, we, and we're going to, what we want to do today is to prove that point. You just can't say that. That sounds misogynist or it sounds um, very antagonistic, but it's actually true. And so we just wanted to sample a couple, you know, of, of things <clears throat> pertaining uh, that, that that they use to uh, to reinforce and substantiate their case against the male world. But when you go beneath the surface of these couple of points, uh, you find out there's very little to substantiate it at all, and it's almost amazing. Now, as I said, some of, you know uh, some of this came out of the '60s, so you're dealing with quite a while. So you think that the pushback would already have happened if somebody writes something in the '60s and it's absolute tosh. You would have expected, you know, even feminists to say we're no longer using that or we're not we're not going to uh, make this uh, a plank of our theories. Right. But they have this because it's threadbare. So you have to take what you can get. And this is one of their mistakes because they've 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 maintained certain planks in their ideology that are really, really weak. 
but then their whole premise is weak. So they end up sort of accepting what you can. Even this stuff is, you know, it's it's uh, plastic pearls from Hong Kong. It's not the real thing at all, right? <laughs> so it makes the job of deconstructing feminism easier. Um, and then and other books have been written in the 80s were just as bad. And the thing to really emphasize is that when you read these kinds of books, and these are by you know people in high positions in academia, they unequivocally condemn men. And they une unequivocally demote men in their roles and in, in just in significance in general. And what they're doing is that they are demoting the solar world, as I call it, you know, in contradistinction to the lunar world, which is the rule, uh, reign of the mother. And there's nothing wrong with that. A terrible mother is a different kind of being. But the dragon mother is a goodly soul who is uh, who's the mother. And the, there's a mythology connected to that. And there's a psycho... Uh, uh, psychosocial component to the role of mothers and the role of women and the role of lovers and the role of wives, right? Something. This is what I'm doing is not a critique of that. It's a critique of, a, you know, a pathological schizoid type who is in a deep sense of antipathy towards reality, and they're getting traction now. They're literally holding the reins. <laughs> of the institutions and the organizations within reality. And to get to that position, they've had to systematically demote. It's like a war against men, a war against men's roles, against their consciousness, against uh, that, you know, that kind of thing. And also, as we'll see, a war against the masculine within themselves. Mm -hmm. This is where it gets really kind of tricky, you know? So yeah, I just wanted to let that be known before we go for any further, but um, it's an, un it's an, un it's an ongoing understanding but again it's deconstructive because i'm going to their work to show the weaknesses in their work would you like me to put the uh, first slide up yeah yeah go ahead sure All right. yeah thank you since the 60s one of the major planks of uh, the feminists these are the really academic ones the highbrow ones and they're teaching women they're writing their books for women they're writing for you know television all that is this concept that man lives in fear of women and this is one of these utterly bogus uh, concepts that somehow, and, and there's even men, believe it or not, that have written books on this concept. They've actually taken it seriously. And, you know, we could talk for hours upon this fallacy, but uh, in the article, I, I bring it up. And that article, again, is a you know, dark mother divine. So this is one that uh, one has to deconstruct, you know. <clears throat> and the, the, the analogy I use is that, uh, well, first of all, the whole thing is nonsense. Men do not fear women. The only males that might do that are these beta males. Uh, they might find them, you know, the sort of hipster types, they might find themselves uh, sort of daunted by strong or powerful women. Yeah, but the average alpha man who built the world, who went out with Alexander the Great, you know, to conquer things, and right up to today, the, the, the bridge builders and the infrastructure creators don't skulk in the corners in any fear of women. And the proof of this you know, so how this ever got into their works is, is really something to do with their own vanity and superiority. Take the woman, uh, take the female form of the body. Do men fear it? Certainly not. They admire it. They lust after it. They desire it. They awe it. You can be in awe and wonder of the female body as we all are. That's why the female form, you know, is, is replete in art of, of the world. But it's also in our magazines and it's in our fantasy and it's in our porn and all of that. So think of that. That's the woman for most people, isn't it? The physical form of a woman. Since when do you fear it? Where, where's the fear? Well, it doesn't exist. It's a figment. 
in the in the uh, mind of woke feminists who have a superiority complex, and they latched onto this concept that man's fear woman. They actually don't. Uh, uh, if anything, there's more evidence in the world that women hate men. Mm. Infinitely more evidence for that than there is for man, you know, fearing woman. It's not to say that some don't. Well, yeah, if you've been brought up by a terrible mother as a kid, yeah, okay, you, you know, you turn up on the chart as being a male who, you know, d does have a sort of a pathological fear of women. Uh, but then even then, that's justified. Mm. Just as you would have a fear of, a, 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 you know, an abusive father or stepfather or uncle or things like that, then it's a rational fear. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. But for feminists to pick up a wholesale, this concept of, uh, you know, the men uh, are so weak and so uh, you know, effeminate or whatever, you know, that they live in the subconscious fear. Now, they got away with it. When you dig deep, as I said, you find, because you ask for proof of this. And you go to them and say, where's the proof? And you don't find it. The only two things that they can bring up is one, that the reason why a man will fear a woman is for the same reason that he fears mother nature. Nature is something that is always, you know, has a threatening side, a dangers and so on. And so the woman is craftily, these feminists have craftily conflated mother nature because nature has always been, you know, axiomatically connected with the feminine. Mm. Uh, okay. So then, you know, they, they said that, that man lives in fear of that. And then they use the Freudian Jungian sleight of hand to say that also the feminine is to be conflated with the unconscious. And since there's a, a fear of the unconscious, so then women will be feared by men. Of course, that's easy to knock down because then why is the unconscious, which is totally neutral, neuter, why does man not represent the dangers of the unconscious that women might fear? Mm -hmm. So for women to appropriate a neuter phenomena like the unconscious, identify it with themselves is already so hideously spurious. And then to say, uh, because men fear the unconscious, they must fear women too, because we represent the unconscious. Uh, so slight elements of uh, truth in there, because it is axiomatic that the psyche was a butterfly. The psyche was personified by a woman. Wisdom, right? Sophia has been by some sects, sects and some religious traditions, like Gnostics identified with the feminine. But those are more poetic illusions. Any sensible person knows that when you're really talking about the divine or deity or spirit, you must attribute both masculine and feminine traits to that, to the soul. And it's only a poetic illusion that, you know, you would call it by female names because the uh, same thing with Mother Nature. But nobody's going to take that absolutely seriously. But these feminists did. And talking to women, hoping that women will read their books, they try to instigate and instill and insinuate this idea of superiority. Uh, uh, and then uh, when, when it's taken to its furthest extreme, they're saying that man even fears the unconscious. Well, the unconscious can be feared as much by women as it is by men. Most of Freud's uh, clients were women. Right? Uh, women are far more neurotic in, in life than men are. So that, that one falls apart. You see, so this, this idea of the fear of woman, because she represents nature, uh, which is untrue anyway, and, and also represents in physical form the powers of the unconscious. It sounds all good on paper, but it really doesn't have much credence. So yeah, uh, if you have you know question there, we can please jump in. But unless we certainly can go on to the next one as well. Just, um, just yeah, no worries. Just before we do, maybe uh, in case this comes up again, which it probably will, um, the terrible mother. Could you just maybe clarify what the terrible mother is, is for people? Yeah, this is the more schizoid controlling mother. You get the controlling male and you get the controlling woman. Um, but what has happened is a mythology has grown up 
in our world and, and a kind of penchant to never point the finger at, you know, you wouldn't be politically correct. So this is a tyrannical entity who is emotionally very, very uh, broken and mutilated, who, because they can uh, breed, they do so. And they bring up, uh, they're basically ty tyrants, you know. Uh, but what happens is where we can often accept a male tyrant and we can, you know, we can identify that form and we can even uh, penalize it. Often the terrible mother goes a whole life without ever being, you know, confronted because there's there's obviously something that's a barrier in our consciousness that just can't see. And even when it's quite clearly that this is a horrific person, you know, they die in silken sheets and live a very, very happy, you know, life to that extent, pushing people around. And so it's a deep, deep crime to be brought up by one of these people. And then uh, the second crime is, you know, not just what they did to you, it's that you have this cognitive block to ever really formulate proper rebuttal, to ever push back on these people. And that's what we see now socially. It's not just on the individual level. Unfortunately, socially, here is basically a criminal, an emotional criminal and a physical criminal that has never been confronted. You know, uh, and only when you turn to the great psychologists, you know, Melanie Klein, uh, Alice Miller, uh, Karen Hornet and others like that, do you find the tools that you'll need you know, across the way? Well, you get Heinz Kohut, you get uh, Artie Lang, and you get uh, Jacques Lacan. What I'm talking about is well known in psychology, you know, that you have these uh, pathological types. And it is a terrible, terrible... Uh... See, see, because the energy of the terrible mother in her toxic relationship with her offspring is the actual root of all pathology. That's, and that's profound. Yeah, let's let's pull on that thread. Well, <laughs> so the next thing to say about it is that now that you see skyrocketing records of pharmaceuticals, Pfizer and uh, Eli, Eli Lilly, right? W they offer these products for depression, suicide, neurosis. Yeah, but who's buying them? Nobody's forcing you to buy any of this Haldol or whatever else they're sticking in your Prozac or whatever it is. Yet it's a billion, almost trillion dollar business. Right. So I've been asking from the beginning of my career, who's 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 lining up at Walgreens, you know, or whatever, or wherever to take it at Boots. You know, people are mothers are bringing their children. That's a whole separate subject, by the way. But just forget about that. The, the human race. The statistics are out the door about how many people need these products. They need it because there's certain psychological syndromes that they're not facing obviously. And this is one of them. The terrible mother is a phenomena that when you really get into it, you know, like I've done, then you find out that that relationship is the, is the root of all pathology. But if you have a cognitive dissonance and you don't realize that, then all the drugs in the world are not going to help you. And all the so-called psychotherapy that also doesn't want to deal with mother is useless. So that's why we have more skyrocketing uh, rates. And this affects women too. This is not only misogynist statement because women, one of the manifestations of a deep all, all of the pathology in girls, women, you know, is matrophobia. What is also I dealt with, deal with in, in this work, in Dragon Mother and Adultism, is matrophobia, fear or hatred of the mother. And that is cognitively blocked as well. Girls are filled with this as they grow through their lives and into the teens. They've been violated so awfully by their mother and many times even on a psychic level. So they're, and then you block it. Same with boys, right? It's called the Oedipal, uh, the Oedipal complex, when you break it down, is really this conflict between son and mother. And Jung rightly called it Electra complex. 
uh, and that's misunderstood even by Jungians. Electrocomplex is nothing more than matrophobia, uh, which is, again, the conflict that ensues between a girl and a boy, if you have to split hairs. Really, we just say eatable stages, and that should be enough. But Jung rightly said, well, you know, Freud lumped things in a little bit too much. There are differences between the girl's experience of motherhood and uh, the boy's uh, experience of motherhood. And we want to we want to go through that, you know, and, and deconstruct it and just make it more clear. And all I'm doing is carrying on that tradition, but focusing much more on the girl's relationship with mother in, in, in this uh, phenomenon known as matrophobia. And so all the other articles, you know, uh, deal with that. Um, and so does so does this new one as well. These are incredible phenomena, but because they're blocked and because we're not dealing directly with the source of pathology, this horrendous, schizoid, emotionally mutilated creature, don't you see then that uh, it leaves us open to these monsters? Monsters are created in our world. Leviathans of evil are created because we're not folk, because of this taboo. If you can break the taboo and people then are break through the political correctness, can look at women and the criminal history of womankind, because there's a social aspect to this as well. Mothers didn't just exist in the 20th century. We're dealing with, you know, a whole tradition of pathological women as well. So if you can look at that uh, uh, with the same kind of um, openness and bravery that women easily can demonize men and the whole world just bows and scrapes and, and accepts it, you know, man needs to also then look at the phenomenon of the female psyche without any kind of hesitation, then I absolutely know that that will we'll deal with this other leviathan. The way to destroy these bloody leviathans of total evil is, and is to not take their product. But how do you how do you not take their product? Is to resolve issues within your psyche and yourself in another means. That's what psychology was for. That's what psychoanalysis is for. And just because a lot of people, have, you know, consider it taboo to look at the mother-child relationship, you know, no, the time has come. Absolutely, the time has come for us to start looking at it, regardless of how controversial it is. And it's really fascinating. It was just a study that I get into that fascinated me, as I say, from, you know, 89, 90. I've never thought of it as being something, uh, you know, controversial. It's just another interesting, fascinating subject that needs to be explored. Mm. Yep. Let's, uh, let's continue the, the exploration. I'll uh, bring up the next slide, if you like. Yeah. And one of the other, uh, we could cover this at length, but we won't, is this extraordinary uh, phenomenon that you find in books is going back to the 60s of the deconstruction, unwarranted the deconstruction of the central pillars of, the, of Carl Jung's theory. And Jung was very close to him and his own wife, Emma, was a trained psychologist and used to, you know, really, uh, you know, uh, make sure he was on the straight when it came to his analysis of women. And his mistress, Tony Wolf, a very famous character who wrote, was a trained psychologist, a brilliant analyst, and a very close, she was a mistress of, of Carl Jung. And these women made sure, and, and we're not, and, and those, are, those are only two. There was mm. plenty of others at that time. And they made sure that he didn't get away with no nonsense. And yet, strangely, as soon as we get this uh, second, you know, the sort of third and fourth wave of uh, feminism, they're coming after Jung's central thesis. And to give a little preview of what that is, is that he, it's con called uh, counter-sexuality. Uh, or contrasexual, whatever you want to use. And that is that the soul of males is feminine and the souls of women is masculine. <laughs> now remember, the feminist tries to make, mix this up. You know, the, their sleight of hand, their footprint of criminality is that they conflate 
feminine with female and masculine with mas with male. Wrong. Masculine and feminine are typologies. Male and female are genders. And anyone who tries to over-identify the two is already doing sleight of hand. Because by Jung's already statement, a male has a feminine side. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the woman has a masculine side. So anybody who tries to dodge that is already, you know, and, and do. Actually, it's a very common mistake. A lot of people make it. But usually it's a benign mistake and you don't run after it. But in feminism, you must watch because there's not, they're not making a mistake. They're doing it on purpose. So... But, but the the point we want to get to is that what, what did feminists do with this? Because this is accepted. And thousands upon thousands of sessions and therapeutic sessions has been confirmed by hosts of Jungians, both men and women. These, you know, it's accepted. Okay. They came along, these feminists, these especially these woke ones in the 80s. But as I say, this has already been done in the 60s amazingly. And that is that they started to refute the idea that the soul of a woman is masculine. Now, why anybody? Well, we know why they do it. Right? They're trying to eat away at, at, at uh, in order to, you know, it's all done in the name of female superiority, actually, right? So what you do is you say, well, no, no, there is an animus. Animus is the Latin word for the male, for the for the male that's in a woman. They go, there is animus, of course, but animus is sort of like a servant, some sort of like you know glorified bellboy in in our minds. And all the animus does is hold a big torch to illuminate the woman's soul. So the soul of a woman is not masculine, it's feminine. Right? Completely over under completely undermining what Jung had said. But yes, that feminine soul lies in darkness. So obviously we need the, the torch holder to come and show us what's already in our lap. Think of the high priestess card, right? In the tarot. Uh, but although that light is needed. It's only illuminating what woman already has in her spirit. It's not bringing her anything. And you go, well, yeah, yeah, okay, maybe you could work with that. But what they're really saying is that this extraordinary, so the, the, there's no masculine soul in the woman. The, the, the animus only comes in as this sort of illuminator of my soul. So in other words, women cannot see their own soul. Women cannot see their opportunities, uh, any gifts that they may have and certainly are not in touch with their own holiness, without the animus, they concede that. But once the animus has illuminated these skills and this holiness uh, and, 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 and illuminates the female soul, the job is done. You can bugger off now. And, you know, again, we see this demotion of the masculine. They never tell you the opposite in a man that he, his soul is not feminine. That's never even touched on in these books. It's only in the woman that the animus is demoted. But the woman, uh, the male... Is not they don't say, oh yes, and by the way, Jung was wrong about you guys too. Your souls are not feminine. Of course they are. The feminine mm -hmm. is supreme. You know, about, about, about this time you can start to smell a rat, right? Yeah. So the, the male soul is definitely still feminine, but the woman is is feminine. And the attribution of the masculine animus to the woman, they're de they're denying. Well, I've got to tell you something, that's schizoid. Mm -hmm. And it will actually lead to physical pathology. Because not you can't up unseat the masculine in this way, and of course we know what followed by unseating the masculine within themselves and demoting it to merely some sort of servant in consciousness. The role of the male outside has also, from exactly the same time, the sixties, been demoted. So if Jung was still alive, he'd look at this in horror, 
and he'd say, oh, my God, what are you psychos doing? You are demoting the masculine within yourselves, which is tantamount to complete regression and meltdown and worse. And coinciding with this, you've worked politically and socially to demote the role of the male. What is going on here? He would he would conflate these two. And of course, what is going on there is, is so deadly. And the whole idea to do this to Jung's work is 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 a, is a, is a sign that these people, these woke feminists, are absolutely <laughs> lunatic. Right. That that's a sign of it. It's really sad. It's it's sad because you know Jung, uh, like you said, he was surrounded by a coterie of of brilliant women, and he was by no means any form of misogynist. He was a, a man of massive insight, and also. Most feminists probably don't even know that he, I think it was a number of years before he died. I don't know the date now, but he, there was a time when the Catholic Church decided to, um, um, they brought in Mary Magdalene as like the fourth, the fourth holy aspect. So it was no longer just the Trinity. It was like this quaternity now. And he, Jung was delighted at this because he saw it as, you know, acknowledging the feminine part of the psyche and bringing, uh, bringing it back into into the fray and kind of becoming whole again. And he was actually really pleased with that process that we weren't sort of repressing and denying the feminine anymore. And so it's, it's, a, it's a, yeah, it's pretty grotesque what, uh, what you're describing the feminists are doing with his work at this point. I had completely forgotten about that. That's right. It's well, well said. It was at the council of Truello. It might've been the sixth century. People have to look that up, but at the council of Truello, the feminine principle, which is Sophic, you know, in the broadest esoteric sense is the Sophic principle. He, he absolutely relished that, as he did many things. And, by, and even on an intellectual basis, it is absolutely astounding that he himself could come up with the anima theory. You just can't trash that stuff out the back door because some demented feminist is telling you to do so and scribble some rubbish. What? This is like one of the most profound. And it, it doesn't even intuitively make sense. So, you know, Obviously, the people who did pick up on this and maybe did listen to these feminists, they have to be screwy to do that. It's so unwarranted that, as I say, we could talk for ages just about that one thing. But if you go to the next slide, cool. there's something that also needs to be brought out uh, exactly uh, concomitant to this. Not only did they demote the animus, which is what used to be, used to be you know, a, a description of the soul of woman, not only that was that trashed and shredded, but they actually then went on to say, equally preposterously, oh, and by the way, you guys, if anyone in the world does see some terrible aspects of woman, and we were talking about here about the terrible mother, so that's all exonerated now. That's all uh, you know, airbrushed. If a mother turns out to be one of these terrible mothers that you talk about, if a businesswoman, you know, like Dallas and Dynasty of the 80s, turns out to be one of these ho horrors, uh, bossing everybody about, or in any other way that you see female evil, you do realize, of course, that it's because we embody, sadly, the animus. Well, hold on. Where'd you get this one? Right. So not only is the animus demoted as being the soul of woman, she's displaced that to say, no, the soul of woman is fully feminine, all right, which breaks the contrasexual dynamic. But now that you've contained this animus, that is the force that makes a woman into a bitch. That's the force that makes her misuse her children and her husband. And that's if you find it even in the corporate world. See, look, when, when the great power women, queens, and princesses of the world ruled any state, it has now been discovered that it was 26 to 30% more war, more conflict, and more meltdown. Wow. Stuff I've been saying for years is now confirmed. So anytime that you would see this, these Eleanor of Aquitaines or, you know, Catherine the Greats or whoever it might have been, look, 
And now they're trying to tell you to exonerate themselves. No, it's the masculine in me. Uh, of course, then what does that mean? That that which is feminine is absolutely holy. And that the woman has been colonized inside herself by this masculine. So in one breath, they're using the masculine energy to become, to break through the ceiling and take hold of, you know, uh, and to be ambitious and competitive and successful. It seems to be okay in one breath. But in the next breath, you're saying anytime that you see an evil, a Condoleezza Rice, you know, bombing the hell out of somebody, uh, but don't, but that, that's not me. So look at the wires that are crossed here. Look at the screwball action. In one breath, feminists are telling us that you need to be independent, individuated, differentiated, and free. All of that takes animus. But no, the animus is the source also then of all, any evil that you could ever lay at the door of a woman. So I don't know what to tell you. You can't even follow you know, the, the nonsense. So what this all amounts to, though, is the wholesale demonization of the masculine and the male. Since they've conflated the two, then the demonization of one is obviously the de demonization of the other. But the whole thing is sophomore from a psychological point of view. And yet so many Jungians are women. But the women who are Jungians are not bringing this up. They're, they, they, there's a, they're negligent. They, above all people, should know that what we're talking about is the fact, you know. But they, for somehow, are silent, like so many others in our world, you know. <clears throat> so this is terribly biased, terribly uh, unwarranted, and can only, you know, there's several reasons why this is. Is that these types who just live in universities all their life, you know, and jump through hoops, they're kind of urbanized, right? And so some of their thinking is already demented, as it is in many men, because of this urbanization. That you can get this kind of, you know, I look at it as a very urbanized way. If women were still you know, in the countryside, if they were really lovers of nature, probably that would stop them coming up with these absolutely insane ideas. Uh, you know, just their own instincts wouldn't allow them to come up with this nonsense. Yeah, the domestication process has kind of warped the psyche a little bit. Yeah, and uh, the strange thing too is that uh, this does no justice to women. When these books are written, as I say, and then other women, goodly women, might be reading this drivel, this is then, you know, a terrible, it infects because there's nobody there to tell them it's wrong. You see these people with PhDs that come from Princeton, Harvard, wherever, Columbia, you know, all this. So uh, innocently, you might go to a bookstore, pick up a book like this, uh, read it and go, oh my God, of course. Because, you know, a lot of it sounds good on paper and it seems substantiated. But have you read the collected works of Jung to find out? Have you read the collected works of, you know, Freud? Do, would you be able then to sit down and go, no, this doesn't sound quite true. And, and also you break your own rules all the time. The way you treat your own children shows that you, you, you know, you're not consistent. In other words, you very much use the male and masculine energy to situate yourself in the world, in the urban world. But you have this doctrine that's written in, in, in books and is written in very high academic papers that the male power is something much lower. You gain from it in almost every way. And yet you abjure it. And then, of course, we're not, we haven't even talked yet about projections, how, how the idea of, you know, uh, the, the feminist is very focused on the idea of projection. A woman must reject or resist the projections, the evil projections of males, and vice versa. Don't project a, you know, uh, don't embody those projections is their big thing. And also maybe uh, cease projecting yourself on the males. You know, and of course this is a, a yet another uh, spurious idea which has a which leads straight to pathology and straight to a schizoid typology you know you'd ask uh, what on earth is going on but you understand it when you realize that the people espousing these ridiculous ideas 
are themselves constitutional moral inferiors. You know, they may have high IQs and all of that, but believe you me, on a psychological level, they're very, very low degree. They're people of very low degree. And so they've used their power, they've misused their power in order to uh, change the status quo and, and uh, absolutely destroy what we know about identity. And something, you know, one has to push back at that at all costs. It's vital that one does. You see, it's now been discovered, one last point on this, is that uh, their ploy that the masculine energy is the source of aggression and anger can seem to be true, except that new findings now are finding out that estrogen, estrogen, right, intake of estrogen in foods and drinks is also one of the causes of violence in men. Hmm. So there's even science, you know, no, we don't want to waste time pursuing this, but there's a new theory that it's estrogen, the female hormone, that actually causes the aggression. So, you know, this this premise that I was telling you, you know, we're talking about, you know, is, is very, very weak. I don't look at it too much from the physical point of view. I'm always focusing on the psychological, but there is even physical evidence now that this uh, there's a different cause of this intense violence. Uh you know, and again, I think in the in the article I, I go into this more. Uh, but yeah, okay, let's let's move on to the the next one. I think All we've right. covered that. Okay, now this one again is more related to my own sort of work on this subject, but I think it's so important we had to talk about it. And that is atavism. It's an odd word, and it has many meanings. There's no doubt about that. That it's not just one meaning. But in this context, <clears throat> atavism is anything that is part of the ancestral program, and no understanding of women no understanding of their psyche and no understanding of their criminal history is possible without this. This is all, you know, when you start undertaking this investigation into the subject, you come across some of these very, very bizarre things. And of course, anything that is atavistic is working on the subliminal level. That means that women who may be acting atavistically aren't aware of it. And this is where the bridge to the female Illuminati thesis is stronger because when my critiques of how the media especially through women's magazines and any kind of commercials or anything directed toward women, that's what they're doing. And it is very subtle. And I've tracked it. People know, you know, through Unslaved and all my work, I'm tracking this phenomenon of the modern media age. And that is that they are constantly stimulating atavistic instincts and impulses in the limbic realm of the woman. A woman has no idea what, what's happening. And so when you see these large changes, like the arrival of feminism, and other traits of feminism. Because remember, first wave feminism was not anti-male. So then how did it later become that? Right. So any larger movements like that often is that your work, you're operating as a somnambulist. And men go through this as well. But it's more deadly with the woman because it's epidemic. It's been funded now by in the tune of billions of dollars. So again, an atavistic life is when certain patterns that are not holistic, not wholesome, and ultimately very destructive to the woman are being stimulated by this Dionysian cult, you know, which, which the feminists are out in front, but you'd be amazed at what's behind it, right? And they have the, they have the knowledge of how to stimulate uh, ancestral hatreds. Now, this would take us, you know, into hours and hours of work to t- talk about what is that hatred? And very brief, it is the fact that in ancient times, and the dates are really hard to pin down here, but you could pick the 8th century BC. You could pick the rise of 
patriarchy. Patriarchy did not just arise all on its own for no reason. So whatever dates women give, and, and the feminist writers are always giving you dates about the Aryan invasions and the rise of the patriarchs that destroyed the matriarchs. Well, whatever dates they are, whether it's Paleolithic, Neolithic, you know, and later periods, that's we'll have to leave that in abatement. The idea is that uh, for centuries of time, women lied about paternity. And this is accepted by the top scholars and anthropologists. Women lied about the origin of children. And to cut a long story short, oh, uh, uh, and in doing so, they, they exalted themselves to the nines. Because, of course, when the, fa when the fathers did not know that it was through insemination and mating that a child is born nine months later, and this is amazing to people. I think people have a great difficulty grasping this. And r rebutters will say, well, sure, they must have known through the animals. No, because animals give birth within days and weeks, not nine months. I mean, it's so simple to answer that. It wasn't completely obvious. And the only way that it was slightly obvious is when your offspring looked like you. Mm. So women covered for that by saying that they looked not like you, but like the ancestors, your grandfathers. Yeah, well, still, how did they get born? Through the divine agency, through immaculate conception. And mm. don't you know we're goddesses? What's wrong with you people? The angels did it. Immaculate conception or a sacred animal or there was a sacred part of the calendar, you know, a, a beam of light. Remember Mary and the Gabriel, angel Gabriel? Oh, that's right. And so that, that's an instance of what we're talking about. So, so women per perpetuated this lie of paternity for centuries. But to move the story along, finally... Finally, because there's a lot to that story, finally men started to realize, no, it's a lie. When the lie was busted, you get an extreme resentment from womankind. And that's one of these atavistic elements we're talking about. Because when the lie was discovered, women were not contrite. Women were not interested in losing their divinity, all falsely gained, by the way. Their exaltation of women in the mythologies and in the histories is largely a, a matter of deception. It's called the criminal history of womankind. Right? But the thing is, when the males caught on to this, this is how you get civilization. Cosmopolitan areas, walled cities, are designed exactly because women were under surveillance. So when men were away, the women couldn't play. Okay? So there's a lot to this. A lot. But women themselves were not particularly contrite, and they wanted their power back. Rather than being contrite, they resented men for discovering the lie and then thought to themselves, one day we'll get this back. And that is the definition of an atavistic resentment coupled with uh, a, a promise that's in the DNA of woman to regain this exalted power which aligns them with the gods. They had got it because giving childbirth isn't a remarkable thing after all. And so men and societies and cultures were willing to exalt women to the gods just because they have this ability which is to give birth yeah i can see that i can see that that's that's something pretty profound if, if you wanted to take that up but that led to an immoral action which then you know was uh discovered the discovery changed what we know about man and made them and is the origin of the patriarchy so all these modern feminists who scream blood bloody murder about patriarchy they caused it this is when you get into the real history not the history they want you to know Patriarchy got created, love it or hate it, out of this, as men changed their, uh, realizing that they've been suckered, right? Developed these priesthoods, developed a, a much more uh, robust masculinity, all that 
you know, came to oppress women. But women have skewed the story so you don't get, you know, what really happened. And it's about to happen again. Women are just setting themselves up for exactly the same thing that happened in ancient times. They're, they're, this, this, this feminism is the most deadly thing for women. But getting back to the story, the resentment that built up and the secret promise that we will have our power again. Now, do you understand in the world that you see where this all came from? Women are now, again, superior. And they're moving in droves to regain this power. But it's atavistic. And the media has been the one that took goodly women who had no, no such mode, weren't in such a you know desire to affront men. Like I said, even first wave feminism wasn't based on that. But through the media, working on the limbic, awakening atavism, this is a huge part of the, you know, the narrative that we're talking about. And uh, it gives them the traction and supports you know, my thesis that this is taking place. Very, very important to factor this in. If you don't factor it in the whole thing, you never get you never get anything what I'm talking about. Factor it in and you're on your way to massive revelations about what's going on. And then it's not that you're blaming women. It's that this is an atavistic. Women are the ones who need to say, oh, my God, I, I wake up from the spell, from the worm tonguing that the media has awakening something to destroy our world. This is an attack on Western civilization. It's an attack on Western European man. And women are the doomsday weapon. And it'll never stop until they themselves take responsibility and say, no, I'm not for this. I'm countering this. I know that I'm being stimulated and hypnotized and mesmerized uh, and dirty things are being awakened in my consciousness. And I'm not going to let it happen. And I'm not going to teach it to my kids. And I'm not going to buy these stinking magazines and hand them to my daughter going, isn't that marvelous? And then watching them become bulimic and anemic and uh, uh, sorry, anorexic and all the rest of it and man hating. The, the damage that's being done. So this atavism has to be you know, brought up. It's a target. It's not, these feminists don't love women. They want to get at men and they'll mm -hmm. use any woman. They don't care what happens to that woman, that they become obese, that they become whatever, deranged. They're being used as doomsday weapons. And the sooner that ordinary good women realize this, the better. Absolutely. But they, they want divine status and they want it again. So that can be awakened at any time in a woman. And sadly, it is being awakened. Uh, you know, and it's very hard to s stop because it calls a sense of responsibility to a woman, you know, that uh, it is a challenge, which is why most women are not bothered with it. It's a real challenge. Look what we're talking about here. It would be a, mad, a gigantic uh, effort on their part to withstand this sorcery. It's no easy task, but, you know, obviously. Now, here's the irony of ironies. I apologize because you would need to know about Jungianism to get this, but I'll try to make it as clear as possible. And that is that uh, as, as uh, all these feminists meant to advocate for the feminine principle, and in Jungianism, that's the anima. But irony of ironies, paradox of paradoxes, all these bizarre ideas that the feminist has in her head are actually generated by the anima to bring about their own destruction. And I say in the article, you know, I offer more proofs than we can do now on this, right? But it, it's like a paradox. You see, any, and it's all done in the name of divine justice. That's why that article is called Dark Mother Divine. When you demote the animus, which as I've just explained, they have done, don't they realize that all the archetypes are a council? Don't they realize the axiomatic fact that the psyche is compensatory? And what that means in practical terms is you mess with any one of the archetypes and the others come to their come to its aid. So the demotion that's been done to the anima, sorry, to the animus, women's demotion of the animus within them, as I've described, that they've shifted it, demoted it to a page boy or you know, some sort of bellboy. 
don't you see the havoc that that creates archetypally within? Does Jung have to explain this to you? I mean, he would be frightened. He would be horrified if he saw this. What has actually happened is that when you mess with any of the archetypes, the shadow, the anima, the animus, other archetypes are compensatory, right? It's like a, 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 you kill a, a woman's husband and she guns up. She, she suits up to go and seek revenge. So the feminist is being led to destruction by the very feminine principle that they think that they exalt. I don't know if you can think of a greater paradox and irony, but to say a few bit more words about it, it is to do with this imbalance. Uh, now, in, in extreme cases, because it's in the name of justice and homeostasis, but in extreme cases, the anima is a trickster and can bring about total destruction. I talk about this in a series I've got on Unslave called Women in the Unconscious, in which I introduce this concept called daemonic archetypes. And all that means, it's just a fancy word for saying that the archetypes return, but not in any kind of healthy, holistic mode to help you evolve, because they see that you don't want to evolve. Your conscious setting, your conscious comportment clearly shows that you're not interested in any healthy evolution or holiness. Right, great. So on the other side of the unconscious, the archetypes respond in kind. They become demon. They, they, instead of meeting angels, in other words, instead of meeting the archetypes in an angelic and, and goodly form, you'll meet them in their demonic form. And this is what's been happening now, you know, through the generations. And the anima is like the leading one, the leading trickster. All of the archetypes have trickster capacities. All of them. Animas can mess with your mind as well, you know. But the anima is the genius of it because she is the one who is in charge of any image-making faculty in your mind. And I go into this in the article. All the... You know, for instance, projections. Remember that stuff about projections? Projections are images. I have an image of my mother or my grandmother, and I'm going to project that on any woman I meet. That's a projection. And if I have a, a you know bad uh, image, that'll get projected. If I have a goodly one, it'll be image. It'll be you know projected. Projections are nothing but images. And but but who asks where do they come from? Who creates them? The archetypes create them. So the images are being sent into the heads. There's a deeper magic. Dark Mother Divine doesn't like having her counterpart fucked with. <laughs> All right. She sends images into the minds of these lunatic woke feminists that hypnotize. One of them is the hermaphrodite. This is one of the images. And that this is the image that haunts their minds, which is why you get this LGBTQ and homosexual, you know, uh, rise and all of that epidemically, because there's an image being sent into the heads that leads these women down this, you know, into the sorcery. But they they are trying to celebrate the divine feminine. They don't realize that that's already turned dark because of what they've done, that these are very unwholesome people. So that's just one example. There's many images that come into their heads. You know, the idea that man must be demoted is, 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 is a, an image in their heads because they've already denounced and done something to create imbalance within. Now, as Jung would have warned them, as any sane person would warn them, you're in a state of imbalance. And from that comes pathology, comes schizoidness, comes psychosis, comes neurosis and derangement. This thing is actually quite extraordinary when you get into it. Um, so woe betide the women who claim to be psychologically uh, astute, uh, to know something about Jung, you know, and yet what they've done is so anti-Jung, anti-psychological, by inflating the feminine in the way that I've described and demoting the masculine, they create a state of psychic apartheid. But the natural order, which the moral universe and your archetypes represent homeostasis, they won't allow that. You just You've just waved a red flag saying to mother nature come and get me and she does so the women today who are fall for this leftist 
uh, wokeism, you know, and all of it are in a state of total meltdown emotionally. You want to get real out of the way quick because something's coming down here. You know, their ego structures are incredibly fragile and, uh, in, and they're also very, very inflated. And I find it also might seem trivial, but this would seem to tie in. You know, if you look at a lot of the, the current woke kind of feminist types, uh, a lot of them have done their level best to try to look like men. They more and more, they look like men. They're, it's like they're trying to impersonate or pretend even, even when they're not lesbians, they're still some of them, are, are, you know, they're shaving their heads and all this sort of stuff. Um, do you, you, you must see that as, as tying into this sort of archetypal uh, imbalance in the dynamics there. Yes, there's even this funny meme that goes around showing uh, second, third, and fourth wave feminine. They have a picture of women on the right side, and the, you can't—they're not even looking the same. And this is this is exactly right. See, so the whole thing of feminism is spurious. The whole thing is based in this uh, inner archetypal loss of masculinity. It's an aberration. How it came on is a big history. You know how it moves is a history. But because they're so imbalanced as people. And, you know, why do you think I mentioned matrophobia? It's not open-ended. You know, somebody goes, well, you need to say more about that, Michael. Well, I already have. The feminist is a person who is, who is a victim of matrophobia, mm-hmm. but they won't face it. And the person who doesn't face the terrible mother in her life or the matrophobia, that's an, you know, which is the syndrome that they're carrying around, the article explains that, the, you know, this person is more inclined to take medication. This person is more likely to be deranged, uh, hateful, and also more likely to join a crowd. Because the schizoid and the schizoid eagerly runs to the crowd, you know, for reasons we might be able to talk about as we go through this other, these other uh, points here, these errors. But yeah, never forget that the compensation, the compensation uh, is what's happening here. There's a need to overinflate. So once you've inflated the uh, feminine principle, automatically, as Jung would have told you, you can't inflate one part of the mind. In fact, this is as old as Aristotle called the, the doctrine of the mean. You can't take one proclivity that you have and over-exalt it without creating uh, some sort of deep imbalance, is to make it simple, in your psyche. You'll keel over, you'll tilt over, and you won't be able to see reality aright, and your relationship with yourself is also marred. Uh, one of the things, that, back to the question about terrible mother, is she is the one, being the mother, who facilitates the images that her child right? Realizes in, the, in their mind. So in, in youth, images of man, of woman, and most importantly, of self. This is Jacques Lacan, the French psychologist came in, uh, where the very self-image that the child has of itself is sent back to it by the project, a counter-projection from the mother. It's almost like the child projects onto the mother its own identity expecting that identity to be held in trust and then slowly projected back over, over the infant period so there's a stabilizing action. There is this recipro- reciprocal action, by the way, that a lot of people don't know, even realize is taking place. Even the mother may not understand that this is taking place, that she is a soul holder, a soul bearer of her child. But the terrible mother does not project that back, uh, uh, reproject it back in a healthy way. The, so the child is receiving, says Lacan, not the true self, its authentic self, it's receiving who the mother wants him to be or expects him to be. Mm-hmm. And that is the root of pathology. Because the child now has a true self that is suppressed and has to conform to this uh, uh, counterfeit self projected back by the mother. And this then, several stages later, by about the age of seven, you develop what's known as the superego, which is has the horrible task 
of trying to glue. It's got to find some welding equipment to, to weld these two together. Neither one, the superego has no way of, of, of remedying it properly. It just goes, no, the only way I can think right now to hold you together is to stitch you up like Frankenstein. The counterfeit image remains because your mother has controlled your mind and your being and your behavior for all these years, so it's not going anywhere. But there's this quiet little still voice in there that's the real you trying to get out. So ugh, this Frankensteinian monster is created you know, with mechanisms, false mechanisms that aren't ultimately helpful to you need to take birth in your psyche to, to, to make sense of this patchwork quilt. And that's called the superego, which is ultimately not your friend. But you need it just to even, you know, it's it's a, it's like a, you know putting your fingers in the dam. It's it's just give me whatever tool I'll use. There's a puncture here. So all, all children are born like this, and the ones of the terrible mother have this extra level of conflict within their minds, and that is then you know the root of, of later neurosis and pathology. But I did say that the mother is also facilitative of all the images in your mind. And that includes the images of masculine and feminine men and women. That's why it's the root of pathology. I mean, it's bad enough to have your own self-image completely warped and distorted by the terrible mother. But the other images that you're going to carry into teenage life and then later into adulthood of how you see the men and the women are also equally distorted. Now do we understand? But it doesn't end there because that person who's in that neurotic state goes to the Pfizer's, goes to the, these monstrous Moderna's, goes to the doctor goes to the psychiatrist, goes, there's something wrong with me, help. And then they hand you products that got all these female symbols on it. The etymology, seraphim. Now, nah, that's just, you know, what I've been doing that since the beginning of my career, trying to show people the colorings of these pills. They're pink, they're blue, they're baby colors. So nice. You know, they'll help you too. They're the happy pill. Don't you get it? And even the names, I mean, we don't even get into all of that. Let's go to the next slide. I mean, <laughs> I've gone tired talking to people about that. <laughs> Here we go. So First the contemplating female and feminine. Yeah, good. Thanks for going back to that. That one is simple. Uh, we've already alluded to it, uh, that uh, this is spurious. Only in normal conversation can you do that uh, uh, as, you know, as just a colloquial conversation where masculine and feminine and male and female can be used in the same language, you know, non-technically. But to try and conflate them uh, for a purpose like this, a disingenuous purpose, I do consider an error, you know, and it's done disingenuously all the way down the line, really. Mm. Remember, masculine and feminine are typologies. Male and female are gender. So try mm. to observe it in yourself when you make that mistake. It'll help that when you're listening to these uh, these kooks, you'll see that they are making that mistake quite frequently, you know. Yeah, we can go to the next one. Do you want me to read that? Yeah, could you? Okay. Cool. Denigrating the roles and significance of physical men and follow up by exercising the masculine from their being, the second era. Yeah, we, we've said this one already now. So I'm just, these were summaries of it. So <clears throat> the top feminists toyed with this idea back in the 60s. That really didn't work because no Jungian or any other psychologist is really going to accept this. The demotion of the masculine within yourself and this uh, uh, attempt to move the furniture around and demote, you know, all it, it's clearly seen as an inflation of the feminine. Their demotion of the masculine is clearly seen as a device for, you know, to, to bolster feminine superiority, uh, female superiority. And that's why it hasn't got an ounce of, uh, and, and people really backed off of it because they could see that this was just going to create even more gender conflict. So it kind of fell into the background and then they, they just settled then for, uh, 
the the more political uh, constant demonization of men uh, 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 and, and even behind concepts like equity some of the things that are happening today the political correctness uh, equity would be one are, are cover terms for this equalization but let's let's just move on and go to the next one all right third error is ignoring possible and plausible solutions to their own questions about why women have been oppressed oh. see this is the heart of my work is that look there are other reasons, and we just discussed them. You remember that atavistic stuff? If you see that you're being oppressed, <clears throat> why are you so close to the umpteen other explanations for it? Well, because, of course, why would the criminal want you to know about what we talked about? Their lie of paternity, the discovery of the lie, the following resentment, and then down to, it, it magnified by all women through history, right? The atavistic. They're not looking at that. They're also not looking at matrophobia, but go, go to the next one. Fourth error, zero interest in the criminal history of womankind. Uh, now, that is a totally legitimate study. So if you're introducing this to people for the first time, you go, it's just like studying, you know, botany or, or, or uh, you know, anthropology uh, uh, or other kinds of you know, subjects, <clears throat> you know, studying the lifestyles of Paleolithic humanity, whatever. So this is, this is not in any taboo. It's not uh, controversial. It's a, just another study. It's actually a very fascinating one because we're all born of women. Don't you want to study your origins? Don't you want to accept that there's pathological aspects to it? Don't you want to accept that there's criminal behavior to be laid at the door? Or that, uh, well, let's put it this way. If man has fear, as we addressed earlier, and if man oppresses woman, why are women so loath to look at that it is because women posed an actual danger in the past? What is to me? See, I've never never understood why that would be a taboo subject. If you're on the trail of a criminal, then you're on the trail of a criminal. You've got to do the forensics. You've got to say if there was a threat, if there was a legitimate danger, that can answer why the the, the rise of patriarchy even better than all of the spurious nonsense they come up with. That man just of his own is a brute. That man, the, the Aryan horse riders who just took it on themselves one day to come and kill all the gynocracies and all the matriarchies. That just happened because man is a rapist at heart. Man is just a dirty, scuzzy thing that has been at war with us ever since. As time goes by, that is becoming less and less valid. There's even women out there who've written on the lie of matriarchy, Cynthia Eller. So it's whole, it's, it doesn't have the traction it used to have. But this, what I'm talking about, is true and does have the traction, you know, uh, and is much more rational. Uh, but it is only sane and rational women that will ever, you know, want to take up this investigation. Uh, what, what was the next one there? Okay, the fifth error is convinced that men have had it easy throughout history. Feminists make outrageous claims for rights and opportunities that are not extended to the rest of humanity. Yeah, basically it's female superiority. Don't be fooled by their denigration of men and all of that. <clears throat> it's all for us, none for them. It's all for us, none for you. And the strange thing is it's not even for the good of women. Because if you really sketch it out, like I did in the article, you'll see that everything that these feminists are proclaiming and purveying is actually going to bring a blowback of such utter proportions that it will do ordinary women no good, you know, this, this entitlement. And the sixth error is conceiving themselves infinitely superior because of their childbearing capacity. See, that is, they claim to be, in all of their literature, haters of stereotypes. Don't stereotype the woman. But yet they do it constantly to men. So there's another double standard. Yes, the woman rightly, in many ways, has been deified or seen to be exalted because this childbearing gift has been given to them. 
and then they what they do is they extend that brendan they they what they will then do is they try to over exalt the feminine principle yes women give birth but the man gives the seed and then as i say in the article this also then branches open into a bigger metaphysical mythopoeic chicanery that's going on because you know in a, like just take a metaphor of the egyptian myth but you get it elsewhere as well there's the primordial waters in which just nothing's happening it's the creation in its most abyssal and basal and foundational form but the feminist themselves say and know that the primal feminine abyss in whatever way it's configured by whatever psychologist especially Erich Newman and Carl Jung and others uh, Edward Edinger or it's configured in actual mythology it is the sleep it's the place of the unconscious you don't know anything about it so it has no essential beinghood so when they take this feminine principle and make it primary they're making a fundamental mistake that is you know has tremendous uh, recoil in their own faces by trying to exalt the feminine by by saying woman is a child bearer and then the you know the next thing that they say is that then the feminine is the primordial womb from which all life comes all consciousness that is in fact an error even though it's physically true it is physically true technically true that women give birth it is technically true that all life came from right uh, this primordial waters of the goddess nun or or the primal abyss but you come to know that fact because of something that happened within that abyss and that is the stirring of the ego germ or the little shoot that rises up from that abyss vertically to come to consciousness right and that is the masculine principle the dot and the circle you only know that there's a circle you only know that there's life because you are aware but you only become aware because of the masculine movement if i drop something into a, a, a glass of water you get that little right thing popping up the water forms into a phallic pillar and you get a little dot right that stirring is the masculine and the and the uroboric uh, pleroma below it is technically first but it is not superior mm-hmm. so the very essence of feminism which states that the feminine abyss is primary and superior is false they shouldn't have picked this up because it's actually wrong you climb to consciousness and awareness and then look back this extraordinary the ethophilic movement toward the light in the solar world allows you to turn back and surveil the origins of which you come so the very idea that there's a feminine principle is only deducible only manifests as a phenomena because of the masculine well that that, that means or can be argued right that the masculine is in fact superior so you know, and it's up to everybody to make up the decision a sane person says they're both important but the feminist is not sane the feminist is not saying that and and that's they're not interested in, in in this kind of dynamic that we're talking about the seventh error is the project will fail women are not about to relinquish the many benefits received from the misuse of beauty and sexuality acts of second attention bring in more benefits than equality this one we could talk about endlessly but we won't it's just it's just an axiomatic fact that a great many especially in women who have no morals it is a fact that women have already gained infinite amount of goodies from the misuse or the abuse of their beauty and their sexuality but in the context of what we're talking about it gets worse because beauty and sexuality are endowments from nature the woman herself is not willfully in control of her beauty or her sexuality these are endowments see way in my other work i point out something you know that runs alongside this women especially these antagonistic aggravated feminist types hate man for his masculinity his his brawn his endurance and his strength this is going back millennia 
this, this hatred. It's one of the atavistic things I forgot to mention earlier. We can mention it now. Instead of admiring it, goodly women admire men with those traits. Other women, the toxic women, right, uh, uh, envy it. And they want, they wish they had it. They wish they had those powers. But nature has ordained that you don't. So when you hate men for what nature has endowed them with, it's the same thing as hating nature. So where this idea came from that women are all natural and into, you know, into the natural order and they represent it, like we said earlier, is a fallacy. Here's another proof that that's not true. Because if you were of nature, you'd honor men for the traits and the endowments that they have. And over here, you get the same thing. Uh, and, and again, a lot of their uh, calls for equality is to cover this up. Second attention is the method. It's just a word for the method by which women seduce men. They may not sleep with them, but the, you know, it's that idea that uh, I hate men, but the first time I get a puncture, you know, any old even geezer lady, uh, well, I'll, you know, it's like if you movie, watch the movie uh, Bronco Billy with Clint Eastwood. So second attention is the method by which women uh, interact with you normally, but there's a second attention of eroticism running below. And it's amoral. And just because it's ancient and has been done so many times doesn't make it any more moral. So the moral woman does not envy men. She admires them and never abuses sexuality or beauty. And even in any case, those things are endowments. They don't come from your will. So they're from nature as well. A very, very important point to, to, to think about. The eighth error is total denial of the problem of matrophobia. Yeah, how many times can we say it? You know, uh, and of course, this then is back to the terrible mother. If you have a goodly mother, you're not going to have any high levels of matrophobia. You may have some, you may have certain things you dislike about your mother, like you maybe do about your father, but it's not going to create a syndrome that's going to unearth your, your consciousness. And hopefully your mother has been goodly and knows something about this, uh, about the programming, about how images work and projections work, and just doesn't disaffect your consciousness. But the terrible mother does. So matrophobia, I have, I have many articles on this on the dragonmother.org site, if it's new to people. It is the chief syndrome that affects the mother-daughter relationship. So when you see these teenage girls choosing to go with thugs and criminals, jailbirds lining up to have babies with serial killers and all the rest of the fucking shit they're into, right? It all comes back to this. You're sending signals back to mother or in some way, you know, you've been warped by that woman's uh, horrendous influence in your life. And it's epidemic right now, you know? So the trouble though, is that women evade it. They'll take the medication. They'll go towards a debauched life. They'll become woke or whatever you see them doing today to evade this phenomenon. What I'm, I'm simply asking is don't evade it and all this other nonsense will, you know, you won't spend five seconds with it and it will radically change. See, it's almost like they are turning to easy prey. Hate your father, envy the male or hate the male in order. There's an underlying, you know, phenomenon, which is this dynamic between the daughter and the, her mother. In evading that, the simplest way is to join the thugocracy uh, and to, uh, you know, uh, embody these ideas that uh, demonize men and as i said that uh, doesn't lead anywhere ultimately and al and also to do so means that you'll then have on an archetypal level woe betide you to affront the anima you don't want this trickster is a mild word and right now when you see this nonsense going on i see the anima at work the very force they think they're building altars to is just tearing just shredding their minds it's really hor horrendous to watch and so I was, you know, it's one of the reasons I've been motivated to, to do this work. But I think that first one has to understand that the archetypes are compensatory and they can operate in a daemonic way. This is already an unusual 
uh, concept that a lot of Jungians have never expressed. But it's actually very simple. Anything that you beat too many times, anything that you kick a dog too many times, is going to snap at you. It's going to return in an antagonistic form. And feminism is merely the sociopolitical manifestation of the archetypal upset uh, and the return of the archetypes in a completely, you know, much more antithetical and, and ultimately destructive mode. So this is, you know, a message that goes out. Let's go to the next one. The ninth error is awakening and succumbing to atavistic energies and images which lead to destruction. They possess individuals and groups. Yeah. Summarizing what we said before about the media's role here, that there's very powerful forces behind this, that women in general, goodly women, non-goodly women are being, there's something going on within their DNA, so to speak, um, you know, that's being awoken by people who know everything that I've just said. Every, everything that has happened in the ancient past that's still written in the psyche. I've said from the beginning of my career, you see that they, meaning the elite, the controllers, <clears throat> the puppet masters, the architects of control, know everything about your psyche. Now we get a chance to even show more depth about that. You don't know about your past. The history books have lied, and, this, and, the, and the, you we're not aware of, of, of the configuration of what makes the unconscious. Why is the unconscious even the unconscious? You know, things we could get into. So the atavism is the memory banks, the deep, deep memory, and advertisements and commercials and films, and slowly they've been working on women. Slowly they've been working on women to get them to where they are right now, to be thoroughly antagonistic. So that, that's another facet of this, that once you go to war with this, then you'll realize where the poison is coming from. This is being stimulated every day by a billion dollar industry. They don't care how many people are destroyed, how many people go towards the pharmaceutical companies to alleviate you know, the very, uh, you know, because it's weakness, isn't it? You're, 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 you're saying, I can't face looking at my existential issues, you know, or my parents, uh, that's taboo. Uh, uh, so I'd rather kill myself from these medications. It's often, it's crazy. But another facet to that last last part is, and again, it's the screwy stuff. If you exalt the feminine, as in the way I've been describing that they do, well, doesn't man have a feminine side? So if women today, these little woke snowflakes or whatever, harden themselves or lesbians or whoever, like I said, this, everything can be understood today about you know these gender fluidity and all of that from what we're talking about. If you harden against a male, you're a woman and you've grown up, you go through school and you basically are cold and you're hard towards a man's feminine side, which is I need nurture, I need comfort, uh, you know, I need you to look after me and I need love and I need sex. The more, the more that women harden toward that and, and say, no, we're not going to take your projections, we're not going to yield, isn't that an affront to the feminine side of the man? Well, that's the topsy-turvy world we're living in. Here are people who exalt the feminine and forget that the man, all men, even a brutish man, has a feminine side, as mutilated as it may be. But a lot of men have a very healthy feminine side. It's not mutilated. Hey, girls, the moment that you say, I'm not servicing you, that is another affront toward nature. And the, the woman who, who's taken that to its extreme becomes a lesbian. That's why lesbianism is on the rise. It's not genetic. It's those people, those women who say, no, I'm not servicing a man but I still have personal needs. I have a feminine side that needs to be suckered. I, I have a feminine side that needs to be comforted. Okay, I turn to girls. What does the man do? He becomes homosexual. He goes, well, the girls aren't helping. The girls aren't yielding to me. It's terrible. And by the teenage years, they've worked this out and go, well, I guess I have to turn to men, uh, you know, and I'll come up with some claptrap to say it's DNA, it's genetics. No, it isn't. 
psychology. The man mm-hmm. turns to man for any kind of comfort for his feminine side. This whole argument, where, you know, whether that's even going to lead anywhere, but I'm just dealing with the phenomena as it is. The turning from the fe- from the fe- feminine side of the man of the man has caused all these aberrations. Then to cover it, they try to talk to you about nonsense, about you know genetic predispositions and all the rest. What any idiot can tell is total nonsense. It is not. You're not born gay. It's matrophobia, mate. But it happens so early, and you've got so many cognitive blocks into that dynamic that you would rather jump over childhood, which is what everybody do, jump over the eatable conflicts, jump over the matrophobia. And say, oh, no, no, I'm born like that. No, you're not. No, you're not. This is sociological. This is rooted in everything that we're talking about here. It's almost like, you know, the decision gets made at a point in in time where, it, you know, it's buried. It just ends up buried in the subconscious. And then, you know, years down the track, they're like, oh, well, I, I'm just, this is just how I am. And they don't actually, there's no memory of the process of like the conditioning or the trauma that pr- prompted them to move in that direction in the first place. That's it. They don't even deal with it. Okay. And that is that, yeah, see, the homosexual is the one who's signing off from what we said. The feminine side of man is not normally nurtured by the opposite sex. So immediately, without even knowing it, you could predict it from an armchair. Oh, that means that women will turn to women. That's right. That did happen. And men might even turn to men. Yes, that happened. Well, it's one-to-one. You made but, a lot of... Ob- oh, sorry, go. Finish that thought. Well, but the, the, the key to what we're saying is that the woman is doing something wrong because she claims the woke feminist is claiming to love and adore the feminine, except if it comes to being uh, uh, the other polarity within a man. What kind of nonsense do they believe? Why can't they see their own uh, hypocrisy in this matter? In, in so dragon mother... Mystery, the mystery oh, yeah, of homosexuality yeah. is solved in this regard, as far as I'm concerned. You know, need need needn't uh, plague anybody anymore. But these are just a couple of points. There are additional issues, but those nine I thought were you know concrete enough to say a newbie came in. I think they could mull over these. But this last one is 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 very revelatory, you know, very revelatory. Because in the turning away from the feminine side of a male, when women do this, when they harden against them as they've been taught and programmed, how is that their adoration of the feminine? Their own at that moment, from the first point we start talking to the last, you can deconstruct feminism. There's not much left. There's really not much left once you do it this way. There's definitely not a lot that's uh, logical um, or doesn't have double standards, as you've pointed out. Uh, and you right. made a lot of really interesting observations in, in Drag Mother. You know, you're talking about um, sexual orientation and stuff and the ways, the different ways that, a, you know, a girl would respond to uh, the, the influence of the terrible mother. And, you know, in some, some ways, they might turn, they might, uh, it was one of them, and I might bastardize this a bit, but one example was, you know, the, the lesbian who turns in that direction as a way of not repeating the, what her mother inflicted on the husband or something along those lines. Do you remember that kind of, because there are some interesting different angles on, on why someone ends up being gay in this way or that way, you know? All of the typology comes about from this. Remember the six types, the masculine male, the feminine male, the feminine feminine, and the masculine feminine. The, the, the mas- sorry, the masculine female is the goodly one. She goes on to be a dragon mother. She admires what men do. There's no antagonism. And she doesn't misuse sexuality or beauty. That's the higher type. The masculine male, he's also a higher type. He gets on with being an alpha. He builds the solar world for the benefit of himself and the masculine woman. The feminine female and the feminine male, they're problematic, you know. And then, the, then there's another creature called the chivalric male 
who, although he appears on the surface to be one of these masculine men, uh, he is he's far from that. So I had to delineate that type as well. So, yeah, but in simpler terms, you're either going to identify with the power wielded by this Medusan mother. See, see, Freud, Freud's error was to think that the mask, the male, the father is the castrator, you know, in that whole dynamic. And that the child, the boy child, falls in love erotically with his mother. His secretary, Otto Rank, wrote a book called The Trauma of Birth and came up with some different theories about that. And it, it precipitated a break between him and Freud. And he'd been secretary for Freud for 22 years. It caused a shitstorm. But in his theories, he's either showing you that Freud already knew, you're either going to identify with the object of your hatred or you're going to try to be somebody different. So when it is understood that the boy's so-called eatable connections with his mother is to cover his absolute hate of her. This was confirmed later on by Melanie Klein. So let me explain it again. There are erotic moments, you know, that form in your mind of a boy in relation to his mother, but those are purely compensatory. Under hypnosis and in deep therapy, you find out that that is to cover. It's like marzipan covering the deep, deep, deep hatred and fear. There's an element of fear here as well. But remember, we've talked about that, that fear of woman is, is ultimately spurious. But if you can find it, it's here temporarily. But it's not fear. Fear, it's it, hatred, wrath, resentment, it, you know, or again, more than fear. So again, fear doesn't really come into it at all. Although it is there, obviously, as part of this horrific cocktail. So Rank discovered in his therapies that the boy is not afraid of the father as castrator at all. He's afraid of the mother mm -hmm. because she is also the castrated one. When he sees her naked, you know, or he sees Nanny naked in those days, she lacks the male genital. It is, it is thought then, so Freud thought that the child works out that the mother has been penalized by the father for some terrible crime, and that's how she doesn't have the genitals. That's what he thought. That And father gets the blame for wielding the great scimitar, the great sword. Actually, it turned out later that this is not the case. And that in the deepest mind, in the deepest subconscious, all the children, the girl and the boy, know the mother is the wielder of the scimitar. And to make a long story then short, this is where you get the girl identifying with that power or the boy identifying with the power. So it always devolves to the mother's power, not the father's power. And by the way, if he happens to turn out, as most men are, very weak anyway, this is only far more exacerbated. If you have a strong masculine father, it's actually a help because then he represents and the world that he, his friends, his colleagues, his world, his solar world, represents a necessary haven from the Stygian abyss and the smothering of the mother, you know, which is, which is all encompassing. This is more of a terrible mother. You know, so the, I get into all of these dynamics in the book because at the semiotic level, this is pre-eatable, the mother has complete dominion over the minds of both boy and girl. This is where the images come from, and all, the influence is enormous. Remember that thing about also sending back the image to the child? Mm. It's at the semiotic level that this is all occurring. Also, it, can, it does so continually, but this is where it really hits. This is where great damage can be done. And the rest of the eatable stages up to seven years old are an attempt to rectify if there's been some real heavy-duty abuses you know, psychologically, then there's seven more years to work it out. But if the mother maintains control, it doesn't get worked out. And then you're just a mess. And then you're going to have teenage, you know, you're going to have delinquency in adolescence, ticks galore, like I said, criminal behavior. Oh, I mean, everything we know about children right up to teenage years is sourced in this.
So the father's world is seen as a haven, actually. So when the feminists demonize the father's world, don't you see what they're trying to do? They're trying to dismantle the only refuge that healthy children have to escape the Stygian abyss of the of the smother mother, of the terrible mother. If the if the if the feminists uh, succeed in making that world so horrific, they're actually making it a shadow of the lunar world. They're bringing the they're bringing the solar world back into the lunar level. That's the end of civilization and a lot more besides. And the way men are turning out right now, every day I, I, I see it, you know, see it in the streets. They're winning these soy boys, these hipsters, these millennials. They're they're not men. So this drag factor of the maelstrom, you know, sucking masculinity down is actually working with the media's help, with polit politicians' help. You know, and something has to happen. Something has to be pushed back against this. But again, back to the point, you either identify with the object of your hatred. What a phenomenon. I mean, isn't it enough to study that? It's so fascinating. Or you will healthily say, no, I, I register what I hate. And I don't want to be like that. I want to be anything but that. And then you more healthily you know, move towards the solar world in a heroic way. And you seek for other uh, imagos to embody. Hopefully some people in your family. But if not, you can you know, go on and, and seek uh, heroes in other areas, in books and so on like that. But uh, then you'll escape most of this. So those six types are an attempt either to identify with, with the terrible mother and her extremely power, her great power, you know, her big club, so to speak, or you will try to get the hell away. So these feminists then are the ones who, who've, who uh, haven't made it. They identify with the power wielded by the Medusa. Uh, and this is pathological. That's not going to lead anywhere healthy. It's because it, it means self-murder for yourself to identify with the object of your hatred which means you're not facing the hatred, then you're going to be what kind of a person? You're going to be a psychological freaking mess, both as Reich would have said, your body armoring, and way more pathologies than that. You'll be a totally neurotic. Absolutely, you'll be a schizoid person. And the schizoid person then is well known to psychologists, and a lot of things can be now said. So, the, so, the, so I end my article by re reinforcing this fact that they're schizoid and then giving a little description of what it is to be a schizoid type and, you know, we go into that description so that then when you meet one of these people, you have, you're armored with a lot of information intellectually about them and you can predict their behavior and, you know, you'll not be so affected, you know, by that uh, pathological type. They won't be able to win you over with some of the drivel that they, you know, they've, they've got their narrative. They, they can be, they can sway you if you don't know, you know, if you don't know your stuff. Mm. And interest, it's really interesting. There's so many tents that, you know, come off of this this theme. But uh, one of the, you did comment in the book on the way that that some people in response to this, you know, the traumatizing by the terrible mother, uh, you talked a lot about the crowd and crowd psychology and they'll go and join the crowd. Um, but I found it interesting. You, you also mentioned the religious um, personality as well, who finds like uses the religion as sort of a surrogate womb so that, you know, I mean, maybe that's a thread that we could pull on. I just thought, thought that was a really interesting thought. Yeah, it is very important. As the superego gets created, you're either going to have a very feminine man or you're going to have the masculine man. The masculine man obviously is more rational, more logical, wants evidence and moves towards the solar world. <clears throat> and, uh, it's not that he's free of pathology, right? But if you understand what we've just said about the solar world being one of its hallmarks is as refuge from this regressive swamp, then obviously even our world will sometimes be over-masculinized. War, soldiering, right? The man goes towards the gung-ho, you know, six-pack, you know, 
And so then the feminist has a certain right to critique that. I'm glad we got to this. Because yes, there are elements of that that are aberrant. What I'm doing is showing you the roots of how it came to be. So the ultra sort of hyper-masculine side is over-competitive, is ludicrous. And so if a woman critiques it, hey, I'm with you. I'm not that, you know, like anti-feminist on that level. If your critiques are logical and they're saying this over-masculinizing, but at least I want them then to also, you know, critique its etiology, bring it back to the terrible mother. That's the part missing from that level of psychology. Then you've got the other polarity. This is to answer your question about where religion comes in. The softer feminine guy whose roots are actually very weak. He needs to go to, he's also trying to escape the feminine abyss in his deeper core because being male, even though as feminized as he is, there's this great struggle. So for him, religion then, mysticism in that theological sense, you know, a God up in the sky is the thing to identify, is the thing to cleave to and identify with. Uh, and uh, they often turn towards Roman Catholicism because they have the feminine in there as well, right? Mm -hmm. Mother Mary imagery works for that type. Uh, and one can get into a lot of uh, information about that, uh, that polarity. So, and I do so in the book to show that the religious mentality is looking for sucker. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to enter into the solar world, but bring elements of the feminine with them. That's how you get your Mother Mary cults and Lady of Guadalupe and all of that soft stuff. That's how you get the New Age movement, right? So it's still an, it's an attempt to stay within the solar world, but to soften the light a bit. Whereas the gung-ho masculine male, if he's in his more negative mode, he is just totally, utterly burned out solar. He's like full-on halogen, which is not good either because that's, that's an aberration as well. You know, uh, but more that would be the chivalric man. He, he He's the more messed up. So that is why women prefer eunuchs, gay guys, queers, right? All of that, because those guys are highly feminized. And as we said, all of them have the secret agreement to not really nurture the feminine side of the of a normal male. This is where it all breaks down. That's how they get there to be defined. And look how many rainbow colors they've broken into, LGBTQ. Each one of them can be defined by this one thing I've just said. I am not going to service you, man. I'm not servicing your feminine side. But all of them then breach the very ideology they have, which is to exalt the feminine side. What a mess. You see? what? A, and, and geez, it's not going to stop here. This is just a teething. Just wait to see what happens. And then, as I said, one of the images that's thrown up in the, in the warped mind uh, that the anima sends you, this is a screecher, is the hermaphrodite, the androgyne. So all these LGBTQ types are trying to approximate an image that the anima, the one they think they serve, this is how cocked up they are, right? There's no psychology that's going to fix this. Jung squared will never fix what we're talking about here because this image is being sent by a demonic, a demonic anima that's going to take you fucking down. And see, once you irritate the archetypes, it's all over. <laughs> Culturally and individually, you're a fucked. You can't fight that force. She's the dark mother divine and you are in the shit. So she sends you this image of the androgyne and in, in trying to, you know, it's like that three men with the elephant. In order to try and discover what, 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 how do I manifest this? You get your LGBTQs and the whole homosexual gay way thing as an attempt to manifest androgyny. But that's a false image sent to you by a very, very interesting force that you better not fuck with. Yeah, it's extremely interesting. It's very interesting. It's, it's like <laughs> this. You think you're worshipping her. But she's after your ass. She's coming mm -hmm. after you. She's the bow girl. Yeah. You're going to be in serious fucking trouble when you feel that arrow going through your third eye, mate. 
<laughs> it's it's not you know what you're saying makes a lot of sense if you look at the way that these people are you know the imbalance um and the way that the you know they really are possessed like literally possessed by this right. archetypal force and so they think they've got one agenda at a conscious level they're trying to do xyz but really they're actually possessed they're now vehicles or vessels for this force that has its own completely different agenda yeah it's, it's why it's why they say the things they do like that stuff about the primordial abyss they they superiorize it it's definitely there and it was first i'll grant you it was first but for you to try and take that and then conflate it with superiority when obviously uh, these are the highest academics in the land they can't even read jung or irish newman that stone and then whatever stirs that phallic thing to ethephalic movement that brings you to awareness and consciousness as a lucid being that then can turn and analyze your roots that is the superior one if anything is but they've done this inversion why do they do it because they've been possessed by the anima who's sending them this these lunatic ideas and they just become possessed by it uh, i don't know whether to laugh or cry i really don't it, it's so but all i know is it's extraordinary it's a mystery that puts you on your knees you know uh, to, to the archetypes, uh, how 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 they respond, you know how 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 they how she serves justice. Mm. <laughs> yeah, this is it, all, although that destruction is a service of justice. It's very Shivite, but it's it's written into the very bones of the earth. It's written into the cosmos. It's part of the moral universe. And expect your archetypes to serve that force. Your conscious disposition. Well, you're the free. To, you're free to do whatever evils you want, and we have. But don't expect the moral universe. To sign on for it and the archetypes are nothing but agents of the moral universe and we have affronted it in ways that are inconceivable and our urban environments are that example in, in concrete and then the lunatic ideas of the urbanized person you know also show such i call it mysteria and we, we we're coming to the point now where there's going to be definite blowback you know from that cosmic order yeah, it's 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 uh, you've you've elucidated it very 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 well, and um, yeah, I mean, I know we could pull on other threads, and you know, we could we could go for hours and days uh, because you, you know this stuff inside out. But um, was there anything? I'm just trying to think of anything that we should touch on or questions that I wanted to ask. But I think um, I think you've spoken most most things. Was there no, any other? Yeah, go ahead. Only to say that things are going to get worse until the, you know, <clears throat> remember, it's one of these dynamics archetypally that things do have to get worse. It's, it's the nature of deconstruction. Uh, to take the thing, to take the false idea to its extreme. You know, William Blake said that, that the fool who persists in his folly becomes wise. He's saying something very wise there because this can even happen socially. You know, that the whole of society needs to go toward the edge. It, you know, this mass formation psychosis. We have to live it out so that we know intimately that it's not the right way there's no shortcuts here you know a quick band they go oh, we moved on the wrong path turn around guys you can't this is an army you just can't turn that tank around the road is completely one way how can you turn all the tanks around you know and all the army we went down the wrong road you've got to completely bring them all you know to the destination then you will never take that road again so there's many laws and rules in here but um yeah, I'm really proud of this work. You're one of the first people, you know, if not the first to even ask me to talk about this, the female psychology in a more concrete way outside of what we've done on Enslaved and, and so on. So it's been a big thrill to do this. Uh, I'm proud of the article. Uh, 
there's a lot of good articles on there. It could be put into another book, but I'm resisting that. I think the two books that you mentioned, Adult, Adultism and Dragon Mother, are more than enough. And then there should be some free material for the website for people who are completely new to this, you know, and who might get into a big sweat and, you know, think it's all anti-woman or whatever. It's anti a kind of woman, mm-hmm. but it's done holistically so that the greater woman comes out of this. Mm-hmm. These, these are all of this work is basically. Uh, you know, a helpful manual to the, the goodly woman, the masculine woman, who's seeing that her sisters are bringing the world to perdition and themselves to ruin, might need, you know, a couple of pointers or whatever to pick this up. Uh, I don't know why it needed to be me. Uh, I got plenty of other things to do than this, but I got interested back in 89 in female psychology. I've been working on it ever since. Never got a chance to ever bring it to any of the work you know just it just it just needed to mature on its own all these years and i never really even thought we'll get there you know but uh because of members and other things that hastened the process finally i was able to get the the thesis off the shelf and it's been going really really well getting a lot of great feedback but again personal thanks brandon for you uh you know and amy setting this up um that's a great great indicator and a very you know uh good feels inspiring that the uh, you know it's the message can get out there actually yeah yeah exactly which is you know just it's such an important message it's obviously such a huge deficit you know in the collective awareness you know that we need to it's like you know you have these people who compensate for the collective blind spots and you know this is this is one sterling example of, of where you are one of those compensators for that blind spot so uh yeah that's why you know that's why it has to be you having having this chat and doing the doing the presentations and writing the books about it and i'm glad you did man and and it's been a really interesting discussion um and i found the book you know particularly dragon mother because there's so much in it it's a much longer book than adultism um you know there was just there were so many great insights in there and so many dots that were connected that you know i was like halfway to connecting in some cases you you'd already done it and it's like man this is this is juicy this is really juicy and it's uh it's something i recommend these these are two books i really strongly recommend people check out and read the article dragon mother divine at dragonmother.org and check out the other materials there and um yeah hopefully there will be another book down the track when you're ready <laughs> you never know yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, look, man, thank you for taking the time to have a chat about it anyway. It's been a pleasure, Brandon. Thank you so much. If you want more cutting-edge research and insight like this, there's something coming that you should know about. I'm building a dedicated and intimate container called The Truthiversity for free minds that love knowledge. To reserve your early bird membership before we launch, head to truthiversity.com.